0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload podcast. I'm Cliff Sarin, and this podcast has been recorded at the Gartner Symposium in Barcelona where I've managed to get some time with Gartner analyst Tina Nuno. Tina, thanks for sparing the time to speak to me today. Uh, we're coming to the close of the second day. This is Tuesday. It's the second day of the Gartner Symposium. What have you been hearing?
1: Um, thank you very much for having me. Um, not surprisingly, a great deal of what I've been hearing has been around the conversation of generative AI. Mm. It, it seems to be making its way into almost every conversation that I have with clients in virtually every session. And clients are excited about it um, and also in my mind, asking a lot of great strategic questions about how do we implement it, how do we think about it, how do we work with the rest of our company Mm. to make sure that we are doing a strategic job in implementing it.
0: I guess every analyst at Gartner must be being asked the same questions because it, it is the big theme this year. It does seem to be the biggest thing that's taking place.
1: We are, it is is a huge topic. It is one of the largest technology topics that we have seen in years. And it's finding its way into almost every conversation because senior executives are asking, no matter what the business problem is, no matter whether the question is appropriate, can AI fix that? Can AI address that? Can AI help us with that problem? So for many of our clients, that's what they're reporting, is no matter what the business question is, many senior executives are asking, can we fix that with AI? And in some cases, the answer of course is yes, but there's usually a but.
0: Yes, yeah. I mean, my takeaway from yesterday was, you know, there's two things to think about. There's the stuff you effectively can buy off the shelf. And it's really good. I mean, I I use this technology myself and it's amazing. I was speaking earlier to a colleague about how easy it is to to take audio and turn it into text. yeah, you know, maybe a few years ago, it was, it was always possible, but now it's just everyone has access to that technology. And it's, you know, for my for my job, it makes it really, really easy. And, and, and that's the, you know, it's the productive technology. It, it, it makes you do your job easier or better. Mm-hmm. But I, I like the term that Ghana has used where you describe it as game-changing technology and, you know. And and this stuff is, well, you know, we, we some, some of this stuff we don't know. We, we, we're experimenting with it.
1: Yes. And I find
0: that quite fascinating. And I guess there are going to be conversations, very difficult conversations, in, well, you know, to differentiate between, yeah, you know, you can buy it from the big vendors, that's easy, and the stuff that really is going to make a difference. And today's keynote, the Tuesday keynote, Uh, that that went a bit further as well. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things that struck me. And I I did computer science at university, and one of the things that struck me was the Turing test and, you know, machine intelligence. Will the machine be as intelligent as us? And I think that what came out of that, Will, do we want to limit the machine's intelligence to just the human being because it can do so much more?
1: Absolutely. One of the best uh, descriptions I heard of how leaders and individuals are actually reacting to artificial intelligence actually came from, I did an interview uh, with the athlete and now CEO, Magic Johnson, at our Mm -hmm. Orlando symposium. And he said, I recently took a drive in an autonomous vehicle, and he said, I was blown away and hanging on for dear life. (laughs) And to me, that genuinely describes how people are reacting to all of this technology, particularly the game changing. right? We're blown away, we're excited. Um, What can we do with this? The ease of use is extraordinary. right? When you said you're using it, we know most CEOs are using it, for example. That is terrifying and really encouraging all at the same time. And so I think that's the reaction that we're seeing, particularly for the game changing, is how quickly can we use this Mm. to do something that genuinely moves our business forward and does something different but because of the risks, they're genuinely terrified.
0: Okay, but moving beyond AI, I mean, you're also presenting Mm -hmm. at this week's event.
1: I am. Can you tell me a bit about that? So I'm doing several different presentations. Um, Yesterday, I did a session on executive leadership frameworks, helping our clients lead up and across. A major focus area of my research is politics and empowerment. So I actually work with many of our clients on their brand, how they deal with conflict, how they create change. And so a lot of our clients have been dealing with this issue of, now that I have all this visibility with the NED board of directors, with the senior executive team. How do I manage that? How do I manage up effectively? And then how do I manage the complexity of having to work across? Mm -hmm. So I did a session on that yesterday. Um, And then actually in the next couple days, I'll be presenting on um, how CIOs can respond to the changing needs of the board of directors, specifically targeting the NEDs. And then later I'll be sharing the results of a study that we did of executive leadership dynamics. That session is called um, C-suite dynamics, function or dysfunction. And I'll be sharing the data from that
0: study. So going back to the session from yesterday, I guess some of the the most interesting things is what the audience asks. But what struck you as some of the most interesting questions that came out of that?
1: So the questions that clients asked me afterwards, mm. after the session, um, frequently had to do with this interesting complexity. If I asked all of them initially, "What do you find harder, managing up or managing across? Which is more complex for you?" Mm. and I did, I did a show of hands in the audience, and the vast majority of attendees said managing across. So I and I agree with them. Managing up is in some ways rather simple you know, actually what the senior executive team, the CEO and the board want to know and need to know is fairly predictable. Mm. And power is the complexity there. Power hierarchy is the complexity that adds the additional concern or threat. But what's incredibly complex is dealing with our peers because we don't have direct control or power over them. And as IT has become increasingly distributed throughout the organization, you either have to be really good at governance or really good at politics in order to actually manage that challenge and get the right partnership, the right cooperation, um, and work together effectively to make a difference in the business. So that is a very difficult set of skills to master. So I actually spent the majority of the presentation there um, and a lot of the questions really focused on how can we really fine tune how we deal with that peer level.
0: Well, are you confident the CIOs and uh, IT, the IT leadership can manage politics that way?
1: I am very confident in them. <laughs> I have tremendous faith in them. Yeah. Um, what I actually love about working with CIOs is they're just unbelievably intelligent mm. leaders. And so frequently, as long as they have the right tools, right, the right tools, the right techniques, I'm, it's amazing how they can just master different ways of thinking about things. For example, um, in the work I've done in organizational politics, I frequently talk with our clients about the difference in leading from a position of defense versus offense, Yes. right? Defense versus offense. Um, If you're in a defensive position, rule number one is you tend not to score, Mm. right? You're reacting to whatever's happening around you. You only score when you're playing offense. Often when I use even simple analogies such as that, it's quite clear to CIOs what some of the differences are and how they can begin to change their stance, their posture, and how they can interact differently with other senior executives. Some CIOs do this naturally and seamlessly. Mm. Um, Other CIOs just need a little bit of technique or a slightly different mental model, and they do amazing things, so I have a lot of faith in them.
0: Mm. I think there's some some things like um IT security, Mm -hmm. you know, which you have to do it in a certain way. But it can be seen by your peers as, well, why do we have to do it this way? Why do we have to log in in this particular arcane fashion? That's because we have to, because of the way the business that we're in, right?
1: Well, since you bring it up, one of the models (laughs) that I shared Mm -hmm. was how to get cooperation and partnership, one of the models and frameworks. And one of the options that you have is mandating. To actually mandate. And but isn't that defensive? It's actually an offensive maneuver. Because you actually can't mandate unless you have power. Okay. Yeah. Right? So unless you have power, you have control. If you don't have power, it's like not an option for you. And you're more likely to be on the defensive. Yes. But if you have the power, mm. um, you can simply tell people they have to do something. The rule that I use with clients on this is that you use a mandate when what you want is cooperation, but not enthusiasm. Right? Security is one of the most common places where we see this. Yes. Why do we do that? Because we don't care if they don't like that they have to use multi-factor authentication. Mm. We don't care. We don't care if they don't like that they have to use a 40-character sign-on because the security of the organization is more important mm. than that individual being uncomfortable or a bit unhappy. Yes. Right. But there are different initiatives where stylistically, we want to bring people on board differently. So, for example, if I want you enthusiastic, then I use a very different approach. Mm. I try to use my power to incent you to come on board. So one of the examples that I used was of a CIO who was in a very collaborative European culture and was told to try to centralize IT for the rest of the business, in a very decentralized business. But they culturally frowned on mandates, so he was not allowed to give a mandate. Mm. What he was given was money. So he used it in a very clever way where he essentially said to the business units, if you agree to centralize your IT, for the next two years I won't charge you anything, <laughs> right? You'll get the IT essentially for free yes. as centralized IT, and then after two years I'll charge you back at half the rate you were paying before. How many do you think took the deal?
0: Well, it was me, would be all of
1: us. It was all of them. All yeah. of them yes. took the deal, yes. right? Because when you think of what the CIO did, it was really quite brilliant
0: mm.
1: because Anytime we do a centralization, a shared service, the service or the capability gets way worse before it gets better. Mm. So, and then we charge them back, yes. and that adds insult to injury. So if you think about it, if something's free, we'll tolerate a little lack of quality, a little bit of lack of service, we'll tolerate that. And then he charged them back at half the rate later on when he had already achieved economies of scale, yes. which was the objective in the first place. But he was able to do that with the power. So one of the things I think is so important for leaders to really think about is we have many possible approaches to getting people on board. And while we all have a default, we generally tend to have a leadership preference. Um, Being a bit adaptable and saying, in certain circumstances, it's appropriate for me to lead differently and to actually be rather unapologetic about that.
0: Okay, well, my my final question is really about managing upwards. which I know is a topic that you'll be talking about later in the week. Yes. Uh, What advice would you give CIOs uh, to obtain funding for new initiatives, not only for new initiatives, but also in order to keep the lights on and to do the infrastructure stuff, the stuff that's not very exciting for the rest of the business, but is fundamental, because without it, you can't do the stuff that the business wants to do.
1: Without a doubt, the best practice among CIOs who are most successful at this is relentlessly focusing on business value Mm -hmm. and communicating about the trade-offs of various investments. One of the mantras I have with clients is that boards and CEOs only care about three things. right? And we know what they are. Number one, they care about revenue, making more money today than I had yesterday. Two is the other color of money, cost, saving money where I need to save money so I can reinvest in growing the business. And third is risk. Are we secure? Are we compliant? Is the brand protected? And are we innovating appropriately, taking good risk? to his stay ahead of the competition. If a CIO talks about their investments and their portfolio of investments in that manner, it's very difficult to be wrong. And it can genuinely help CEOs understand and boards of directors to comprehend the trade-offs that they're making through different investment choices. Mm-hmm. So I always encourage our clients, have a business value model that you're comfortable with, relentlessly communicate choices, options, and results in terms of revenue, cost, and risk, and your chances of success go up.
0: I mean, it's very interesting because I want to go straight back to the very start. Mm -hmm. We were talking about the theme of this conference around AI, and I think one of the phrases is game-changing AI. And um, I think one thing that came out of the keynote is that you know this stuff's you know, it's risky mm. it's very expensive very and the ROI is not going to be there for a while mm-hmm. yet it's the thing that could change the business. It's, it could fundamentally change the business <clears throat> and I guess the m- m- what I'm trying to get at is it must be incredibly difficult to have those conversations where it's intangible you know, it's, in it's, it's not really known what you're going to achieve
1: it's extremely difficult, I agree. Um, we've had we've had clients where when I've spoken with them, their CEOs and boards have gone from a, a quick briefing on what's generative AI to asking the CIO to forecast benefits for the next two years. Mm-hmm. Right, And it's much too early for that. Mm-hmm. It is way premature, it is much, much too early. So what we need them to really focus on is to actually continue educating the executive, continue experimenting, right? Because in many cases, they won't figure out the value until they've done a certain number of use cases and applied it to the potential business problem. So each and every organization has to figure out their own value and the risks will evolve as that's taking place simultaneously. But in many ways, they should still really focus on the central question of, do we have proof that this will provide value and then which category? And then of course the critical question, how much risk are we willing to take to find out? And that, of course, will be different for everyone.
0: Well, Tina, thank you ever so much for sparing the time this afternoon to speak to me. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.